0: Quick Takes is a podcast from BCA Research, informing investors with straightforward, actionable analysis of macro and market events. Hi, and welcome back to the BCA Research Quick Takes podcast. I'm your host, Rukhaya Ibrahim, strategist at BCA Research. This week's episode is about the outlook for ECB policy. The European Central Bank just announced another 75 basis point hike and made some adjustments to its Teltro facility. The initial reaction from financial markets is that the communication is less hawkish than anticipated. I caught up with my colleague, Mathieu Savary, who heads up our European investment strategy to see if he agrees with the initial market reaction and to discuss his take on the outlook for ECB policy as well as the implications for Eurozone financial markets going forward. Hi Mathieu, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining me.
1: It's my pleasure, Um, always a pleasure to chat with you.
0: So we got the ECB decision this morning. Uh, They announced that they hiked interest rates by 75 basis points. They also made some adjustments to the TLTRO3. Uh, They raised the borrowing costs of the facility and they offered banks an early repayment option. Uh, So the initial reaction from bond markets and the currency is that it was a dovish surprise. Uh, So I'm curious to hear from you. Do you agree with the market's reaction of the ECB's communication? Um, and what were like your general takeaways from the decision and the communication?
1: Um, yeah, I do agree that relative to the expectation that were embedded into the ESTR curve, uh, there was a dovish message from the ECB. Uh, but at the end of the day, the actions that were taken today uh, are quite consequential. Uh, As you've mentioned, there's this increase of 75 BIPs to uh, all the major interest rates of the ECB. And uh, that change in terms of the TLTRO uh, was very important. So as you highlighted, they're increasing uh, the cost that is being charged to banks. But then on the other end, they're also offering early repayment options to the bank. And uh, this is very positive at the margin in the sense that it will allow the bank not to suffer from those higher uh, interest rates. So um, what's the purpose of this activity? Uh, There are many. The first one is that it's clearly designed to uh, mop up excess liquidity that currently is present in the Eurozone. Uh, It also starts the balance sheet on wind of the ECB, um, and that is very coherent with the efforts of the central bank to uh, fight inflation uh, at the current juncture. Moreover, uh, it's a well-designed policy from the perspective of where does the ECB wants to mop up uh, excess liquidity. So by that, I mean that the peripheral banks, commercial banks, so banks in Italy and Spain and so on, uh, will are unlikely... To uh, get away from the TLTRO because for them borrowing from the market uh, is still going to be more expensive than even the new higher uh, rates on the TLTRO however for the banks at the core in the Netherlands in Germany uh, maybe in France too uh, it will remain it will be cheaper for them uh, to borrow from the markets than from the TLTRO so this means that we're likely to see more repayments of uh, funds uh, at the core of your up than in the periphery. So I like that. Now, on the other side of the equation, uh, for the future, and here I'm talking the long term, at some point the ECB, it's very possible, will want to uh, use uh, facilities like the TLTRO again when there's a deflationary shock in the future. And I think that banks and other private sector actors will uh, think twice before. Uh, engaging into any uptake of uh, those TLTRO type facilities in the future, because now we're seeing an ECB that has reneged on the term uh, it had offered uh, in the past.
0: So I take it from these comments that you think that the policies that were announced are um, warranted and they're appropriate given what's happening with the Eurozone economy right now. But if we turn to sort of what we should expect from the ECB going forward, I thought Lagarde was Pretty vague about, you know, where a policy is heading. She literally said that she's turning her back on forward guidance. Um, She described it as being unhelpful in current environment where there is uh, elevated uncertainty. And she said that the ECB is basically going to take a meeting by meeting approach. Now we just got recently some uh, dovish surprises from both the RBA and the BOC. They both eased off of the break, so they hiked interest rates by a smaller than expected increase. Do you view these decisions as a template for the ECB going forward in terms of um you know easing off the break a little bit?
1: So I think it depends how we define going forward for the ECB. So yes and no. On the no side Uh, Canada, Australia have some very specific dimension uh, that makes them inappropriate parallel. Namely, they have uh, extremely elevated private sector debt, uh, extremely expensive real estate markets that are starting to buckle uh, to a larger extent in response to the tightening of the policies that uh, we've seen until now. And this is particularly evident uh, in Canada. That means that we cannot fully make the same parallel between the sudden shift in policy in Canada and uh, applying it to uh, the eurozone. However, from a more general perspective, it is true that we can think about those central banks like the BOC or the RBA as having been at the forefront of the tightening, and they would have been the first one to start pressing less hard on the brake pedal, and that's what we are seeing. So it is from that perspective, telling us that yeah, of. Over the course of the next few quarters, the ECB will have to uh, be less aggressive. But honestly, we didn't need to have a change in the tone of the BOC uh, to know that, considering the fact that it looks increasingly like the global economy is moving toward a recession that will affect a very trade-oriented nation like Europe.
0: Okay, and when we look forward, um, we do get the CPI inflation release on Monday, the the preliminary numbers for October. That comes out on Monday for the Eurozone. You know, the September figure was like 9.9%. So I'm curious to know, if we see that inflation is still extremely elevated, close to double digits, do you think that there's any chance that they're going to opt for a 75 basis point hike again in December? Or do you think that they're going to slow the pace regardless?
1: Yeah, so that's obviously is a tough question, but it's a very important one, so I'm not going to try to skirt it. The first point is the following. We've seen a change in the language of the ECB, the first or second paragraph of the monetary policy statement, uh, abandon the word several meeting when uh, talking about Uh, The future interest rate increase so it's becoming more vague and that's because the ECB wants to uh, give itself more flexibility and I think that's really ultimately the, the term that has really affected the market perception here. And in fact, when you look at what's priced into the ESTR curve, you can see that the July rate uh, for 2023 has fallen from 2.8% uh, yesterday to 2.5% uh, after the uh, ECB meeting. So very big, big move. Um, so what's going on here with the ECB? Well, as you've highlighted, the, uh, Christine Lagarde has mentioned in the past that they were abandoning a forward guidance, so why is that? I think there's many dynamics at play. Uh, the first one is that it was e- very easy to provide forward guidance when the ECB felt it was very, very far from the neutral rate. Now, Uh, the ECB feels it's getting much closer to the neutral rate now that the deposit rate is at 1.5%. So the estimates of the ECB suggest that the nominal neutral rate is around 2% in uh, the Eurozone. In uh, BCS European Investment Strategy, our estimates, depending on if we take into account things like that or not, a range between 1.5% to 2.7% on a nominal basis. So that gives us a midpoint of roughly 2.1%. So again, we are starting to enter in the range where our policy is not particularly accommodative anymore but it's unlikely to be extremely tight either so this is the range where data dependency becomes uh, crucial so I think that we are likely to see further interest rate hikes in the eurozone. And my base case is for 50 bps uh, increase in the month of uh, December. And then we will downshift to 25 at the next meeting and maybe another 25 afterward. Because ultimately we don't need to increase as quickly as was the case before, because we're getting closer to that zone where neutral is. We don't know exactly where it is, but we're getting to that zone. So it becomes about the other uh, economic development. and. Uh, Uh, When we think about inflation, uh, there's a lot of things going on in Europe that are very important. Um, wage inflation is a lot tamer than is the case in the United States. You're looking at negotiated wages that are growing a bit under 2.5% in Europe compared to an Atlanta Fed wage tracker that's above 6% in the United States. So completely different dynamics. You look also at other very domestically driven inflation like uh, rent inflation, which is uh, sub 2% in the Eurozone and still quite elevated when you look at owner's equivalent rent in the United States. So it becomes all about Imported prices and those kind of shocks. And when we look at energy prices, Some energy prices have declined a lot, but structurally they are a lot higher than they were before. But the most important point is that we've went from an inflation rate in terms of natural gas that was around 600% for many, many, many months to something that's moving towards zero right now. Um, So this means that the imported inflation impulse to Europe is decreasing. We're also seeing supply constraints that have really contributed to keep inflation very high in Europe, starting to ease with the uh, cost of shipping goods from Shanghai to Rotterdam that's declining uh, measures of supply constraint derived from the subcomponent of the PMIs that are uh, declining um, and the problems in terms of acquiring chips that are becoming much less prevalent so that suggests that even if in the near term we could still see a few bumps in inflation the bigger trend is that inflation is in the process of peaking so that's why I think that even if we were to get a, bit of a little bit higher inflation on Monday this wouldn't significantly significantly increase the odds of another 75 bips uh, for the ECB. And I'll just add another thing here, which is that we've seen this meeting, Christine Lagarde, that showed much more concern for the economy. And I think it's very natural since The PMIs, the manufacturing PMIs, are well under 50 right now in the Eurozone. When you look at the new order to inventory ratio, which tends to lead the uh, overall PMI, it is consistent with a further deterioration uh, in the PMI as well. And the ECB also is one of the last central banks that still uh, is attached a little bit to a monetarist approach. And on this front, we're seeing in Europe credit standards that are getting tightened uh, for pretty much every type of loans. We're seeing credit demand that is So this is the kind of development that uh, really influenced the thinking of the ECB and would suggest we're getting into a new phase of the tightening uh, that is less aggressive than was before, uh, even if for one or two months inflation uh, remains perky.
0: Right. And on that front, I think uh, something that I found was interesting is that when uh, Lagarde was describing sort of uh, what they're watching, the factors that they're watching uh, to determine the policy outlook going forward, she highlighted three things. So the inflation outlook, the fact that uh, they've already tightened significantly so far, and that there's a transmission lag. And what was interesting for me is that when she highlighted the inflation outlook, she also noted that they're also watching the evolution of the economy and that there's a higher likelihood now of a recession. So, you know, to me, that highlights that they're paying more attention now to uh, the economic outlook, even though inflation is high. Uh, Would you agree with that?
1: Yeah, I completely agree, which fits again with this notion that uh, from the perspective of the ECB, uh, the first phase of the hiking campaign was about removing what was completely unwarranted accommodation with policy rates that were well under any estimates, any Point that we could consider neutral so they were very 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 accommodative now we've removed this excess support and the state of the economy starts to become much more important since uh, policy is uh, becoming more neutral
0: So uh, let's move on to, um, I guess, a question about investment implications of ECB policy going forward. So, you know, your your base case is 75. We just had a 75 rate hike. We're going to have a 50 basis point rate hike in December and then 25, potentially one or two times in 2023. Now, let's say in December we get a dovish surprise from the ECB. Do you think that that would be bullish or bearish for the euro? So, I mean, in bullish in the sense that it would uh, imply that the restrictions from monetary policy on the economy are not as stringent bearish because lower interest rates what would you think would be the reaction of the euro in that uh, scenario
1: well I think that at first the gut reaction of the euro would be to uh, depreciate a bit if there was a dovish surprise in December but at the end of the day the biggest question when we think about the long i mean long the, the next 12 to the, the next 12 months for the euro isn't so much the euro to be honest it's about the us dollar is the us dollar uh, peaking or not and that is a function of two things really a it's the global growth outlook is the global growth outlook improving right now i would argue that the global growth outlook is still very poor and it is consist, it's not consistent with a decisive peak in the dollar doesn't mean that the dollar has not necessarily peaked we've seen that for example the euro uh, fell almost to 95 cents a few weeks ago and now we are at parity so we've seen a pretty significant move actually in the euro but uh, uh, it's going to require really an improvement in the global growth outlook before we get another significant up leg uh, in the euro based on the down leg in the US dollar so that's uh, point number one Uh, point number two is that ultimately growth differentials are also very very important and here I think again when we think about the next few quarters, not just the next months, um, the picture is actually slightly improving in Europe, relative to the United States. In the United States, the impact of the tightening in financial condition, of the tightening in fiscal conditions is going to continue to be felt and continue to depress economic activity, maybe a bit less than right now, but this is still gonna to continue to have an impact. In Europe, expectations of growth amongst investors are very rock bottom right now. Uh, however, fiscal policy is extremely accommodative. The energy shock seems to be stabilizing. Europe is still gonna be at a disadvantage, but the worst part of the shock is behind us, I would argue at this point in time. And there's a lot more pent up demand in Europe than in the United States, because fiscal policy during the pandemic was conducted very, very differently. So there is room for in 2023 maybe even earlier 2024 where european growth can be a bit stronger at least relative to trend compared to the united states and that's a gross surprise that will help the euro so even if we do get a little bit of a pullback uh, at the uh, next ecb meeting if the ecb proved uh, more dovish than the market anticipate i think this is just a hiccup along the way and that the bottoming process in the euro has begun and that if we talk again in let's say november 2023 the euro is going to be significantly higher than it is today.
0: I want to circle back to something that you said earlier uh which is in your discussion of the neutral rate you know you said that your own estimate uh the midpoint of the range of estimates is 2.1%. Now When we think of um, the outlook in terms of QT, this morning Lagarde did say that they're going to start discussing QT starting in December. Um, So we're getting closer to a point where um, they're going to start shrinking the balance sheet. When do you think that's going to happen, first of all, based on your outlook? And do you think that the uh, QT process could lead to a widening of peripheral spreads? that could potentially lead to an activation of the TPI. You know, where do you stand in terms of the outlook on that?
1: Yeah. Uh, excellent question. So in some way, we could even argue that the QT is started now, considering what's going on with the TLTRO, which is likely to reduce significantly the size of the ECB balance sheet if uh, commercial banks uh, react the way the ECB is intended them to react, which is that they won't want to pay those higher interest rates and will just pay back the money uh, to the ECB. So I would argue QT is started already. Now I know what you really mean. You're talking about really the impact on the bond. And selling the bonds that they've bought uh, through the APP and the PEPP. Um, On this front, I would expect them to start probably in Q1, but uh, not to follow what the Bank of England wanted to do, which was a very active dynamics, but more to let the uh, purchases. Roll over uh, by themselves. At the end of the day, the economic environment in Europe is getting very tricky. There's a recession that's most likely starting uh, as we speak uh, right now, and that's going to complicate the equation. Now, with regard to your uh, second part of the question, uh, talking about the peripheral spreads, I think that's where the TPI ultimately comes into play, which is that the ECB doesn't want a malfunction of monetary policy. At the end of the day, the ECB they're no fools. They understand something very, very well, which is that they want to tighten policy. They want to deal with the inflationary problems at the core of Europe, the fact that uh, negotiated wages in Germany are stronger than uh, in Italy, let's say. Uh, but um, at the same time, if they are too aggressive, they know that Italy, Spain, France even could go belly up, and that means going back to negative rate and just feeding the problems in Germany, the Netherlands, and the Baltic country even further. The ECB understands that full well. So my suspicion is the following here, that a QT program will emphasize selling Dutch, German, French bonds, and uh, that the TPI is actually very, very likely to be activated uh, to help alleviate the pressure on the peripheral country. In fact, Even if we just use a neutral rate approach, that also makes sense, because the numbers I've given you for the neutral rates are purely based on an average of all the countries in Europe. But if we look at the uh, real R star, so the neutral rate adjusted for inflation, on uh, an application of the Holston-Loback-Williams model, you find that it's around 0% in Germany and minus 0.8% in Italy. If you take into account the fact that debt makes it more difficult to increase interest rate, uh, so an approach that's a bit similar to the R double star um, notion uh, advanced by a Fed paper a few weeks ago, uh, you get an R star of minus 0.2 in uh, Germany and one of minus 1.8 in Italy and around minus 2 in France and Spain which have higher debt loads so just already this difference in the real rates means that if you tighten The policy rates to deal with the German and Dutch inflation problems you're gonna demolish the periphery so that alone means that there is a very very high likelihood that the TPI will get activated that uh, this TPI will particularly get activated once the QT officially starts in terms of the bond holding I think what's essentially keeping the ECB at bay right now is that Italy and Brussels are likely to negotiate in the coming uh, few months around the conditions for uh, Italy to access the 200 billion euros that it is owed under the NGEU. we know that uh, giorgia meloni is not too keen on the kind of structural reform that are called for uh, by the eu to uh, for italy so that italy can access those funds so i don't say i think that the ecb doesn't want to give essentially a free uh, a free card at this point in time to italy as long as the negotiations are going on um, or until the negotiations are done. So I think that that's the constraint, uh, which is immediately political uh, in the near term.
0: And in the meantime, do you um, expect peripheral spreads to continue to widen?
1: I think they're gonna remain very volatile, yes. Uh, that's, That's the main lesson here. Now, they've gotten a bit of help today's and in recent weeks uh, we've seen an narrowing of those spreads helped by the decline in natural gas prices which is very helpful for italy which is the economy after germany the most exposed to the energy crisis within the eurozone um, they're also benefiting from the more cautious tone of the ecb today which at the end of the day suggests a lower terminal rate which is a good news for italy but uh, once we get into the thick of the negotiation i think yes there's going to be more volatility in the btp uh, boom spreads and we could see those btp boom spreads uh, move toward 275 300 basis point as those negotiations proceed. But at those level, to me, those bonds become uh, very attractive opportunities because I don't think Italy is going to have the Greek treatment uh, imposed upon that country. And uh, I think that uh, at those level, the TPI becomes uh, activated.
0: Uh, one more question before we end. Um, so in terms of, you know, let's put this all together. And in terms of uh, investment implications, what are you recommending now on the back of where you see the ECB policy going forward, whether that's in terms of bank stocks, uh, you know, the yield curve or um, yield in the eurozone?
1: So um, I think we cannot look at the ECB policy in isolation to make a market call. We need to look at it in the context of what's going on in the global economy. The global economy is weakening. There is no doubt about that. China is actually very weak. And when you look at the PPI, which is growing at less than 1% right now in China, it's starting to exert this inflationary pressure on the global economy, which is very important for the European economy, which has strong trade links with China and emerging markets. And emerging markets are greatly affected by the Chinese state of affair. So uh, this is an environment where already the new order to inventory ratio is very weak in Europe, new export orders are very, very weak, and uh, so on. On top of it, we've seen that the consumer is retrenching uh, retails, real retail sales are contracting, uh, real disposable income is contracting, household confidence, consumer confidence, excuse me, is very, very depressed. So I believe at this point in time that we're likely to see a lower bond yield in Germany. And if we have an ECB that is refraining from pushing rate expectation further up, as uh, we're starting to see right now, that increases the likelihood that we see a decl- further decline in the um in the Bund yields, and I would anticipate Bund yields to decline toward 1.5, 1.75 over the course of the next few months. Uh, So that's um, point number one. Point number two uh, would be related to financials. The financials are very cyclical uh, stocks, and uh, with what's going on in terms of credit demand in europe the weakness in economic activity uh, and so on that bodes poorly for uh, financials uh, especially if my expectation that yells in germany a uh, decline uh, comes to fruition in that case it's going to be uh, very difficult for uh, financials to uh, remain um, well-bid relative to other cyclicals and relative to the market uh, therefore I, move, move, I would move to uh, underweight uh, those securities uh, or the short uh, financials uh, along the market in Europe in that context.
0: Great thanks so much for your time today Mathieu it was a pleasure having you with me on the podcast.
1: Well thank you for having me have a great day.
0: You too. Thanks for listening to this episode of BCA Quick Takes podcast. We'll be bringing you weekly quick takes with BCA strategists on a range of macro and market topics. In the weeks ahead, I plan to talk to some of my colleagues about various relevant issues for financial markets, including takeaways from China's 20th party Congress, the U.S. midterm elections, as well as long-term themes for U.S. equities. So stay tuned and thanks again for listening.